Hello there. If you're listening to this upon release, I'm getting the first two episodes out quickly in order to plug a piece of work by my special guest, Dan Rebellato. He is a superb writer, and he has a new play, a take on the Me Too movement, but with a twist, on Radio 4 at 2pm on the 4th of January. So I've rushed this forward in the schedule to give you the heads up. The play will remain on BBC Sounds for a month. Now, Dan is a witty, intelligent and very sharp scriptwriter, and I know you'll enjoy his work, especially if you enjoy the Doctor Who story that he's chosen for us. Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a Doctor Who podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, ask a friend to choose a story and to tell me their favourite things about it. Well, welcome to Haydock Towers. I'm going to slightly alter the way I'm doing these in order to save me a bit of time in the shoddy booth in which I uh, record and put these things together for your digestion. Um, So I'm doing the introduction as part of my watching of the episode so I don't have to do a special um, extra sort of recording session. You don't need to know the mechanics. I'm just trying to make this easier because it's taking off an awful lot of my time and I've just spent half an hour wrestling with... I I understand the iPhone is a marvellous piece of technology but but it's just irritated the hell out of me and I want to smash it to pieces. Um, But nonetheless, I'm instead using it to film me and do all the other clever things it can do. Um, Doesn't mean I can't get annoyed with it. So I know there's a running theme of me getting annoyed with technology, so it might be me at fault and not the technology. But I'm clinging on to the illusion that it's its fault and not mine. Um, So what we're going to do to introduce uh, our story uh, is to meet our special guest, uh, who is going to introduce himself i hope uh and to tell me for the first time uh i know obviously because he's let me know what story he's chosen and now he's going to enunciate a vague outline of why uh and then we'll get down to business hi toby i have chosen the rebos operation uh the rebos operation is not on many people's top 10 lists uh, in fact, I've seen it on some people's uh, worst 10 Doctor Whos, but they are wrong. It's one of the great, great stories of the classic era. It's definitely in my top 10. There are probably more action-packed stories. There are certainly better monster stories. This isn't much of a monster story, um, but this is so enjoyable. It's so intricate. It's so rewarding. Uh, I love this. I love this story uh, passionately. Ah, oh, he's what well, he's he's edited it rather beautifully. He's given a, a a a fade to black in between bits, which means I don't have to guess when he stopped talking. He didn't introduce himself. He is Dan Rebolato. He is a very clever man, a gifted playwright. Has written many plays for radio and for the stage. Um, very smart cookie. I might talk about how Dan and I. Uh, first encountered each other uh, but Dan's a very entertaining very smart fella um, and he's a writer so I'm slightly unsurprised that it was him that has chosen 
well i'm i'm going to talk over the episode because i'm going to i'm going to press play we're going to press play and i'll get into this press play in three two one and uh don't worry it has started i just don't have the sound turned up because there we go so we're watching the rebos operation i might sometimes by accident call it the ribos operation because I, uh, that was what I first knew it as when I saw the book in the castle bookshop in Castle Square in Ludlow. I th I, I'm assuming I, I bought it then. The cover is unlike any other cover. Uh, it's a cover by John Geary and it's uh, this sort of slightly modelled, uh, mottled thing uh, uh, with the Shrevenzar looking all sort of ripped. It actually looks like it's scooped up its own faeces and is having a, having a munch on them the way that its claw is. Um, but I'm not sure I read the book for ages i don't know if ian martyr and the rebus operation is 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 is, is, is i i can't actually remember much about the book at all i, I think i remember the death of one of the characters having a, their side blown out um but I, I whereas this i predominantly know of because of its glorious humor although i love the lighting and this darkness this is a fantastic opening i think of this as a sort of frivolous and fun story but this is a really epic uh beginning and i love that lighting and i love the tardis fading to black um now tom baker's doctor has this insouciance about him um that i think in the ensuing scene um you know is is slightly flippant um and doctor is always sort of destroyed its gods and monsters sometimes by undermining their pomposity but you still do need Dudley, Dudley Simpson's giving us the organ stuff so for the start of an umbrella season uh, which I, I remember some of this season I think from repeats but I wasn't aware really of the linking thing until you know I went back to learn about the history of Doctor Who so although I had memories of Pirate Planet I think only Pirate Planet, really, which I think was a repeat. I, I don't think the, the key to time thing had quite registered with me. I was a little too young. 1978, I was four. Cyril Luckham and the White... And so reading about the history of Doctor Who, the White Guardian, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and the way that the White and the Black Guardian came into the Peter Davison era as though they were great figures from the past what one didn't actually realize until much much later is the white guardian and the black guardian are both in about five minutes of one episode the way that i think the way that it was sort of written up you assumed they were these sort of towering monoliths who cast a shadow over the the whole season and they 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 sort of don't um i kind of like that that i mean this is I remember Tom Baker on the Tom Baker Years video VHS, which is a thing of beauty if you've never seen it. Uh, I would seek it out. Unlike the other Years tapes, it's Tom reacting spontaneously to clips. And they show him this bit, which I think is not a, a great way to remember the Rebos operation, but he does describe it as sort of two old sweats, you know, work, working hard, because it's, it's sort of exposition, but it's exposition with character with lots of good jokes i think baker's um insolence is is 
matched with a, a great efficiency and quiet power by Cyril Luckham uh, and that nothing will happen to you ever is an absolutely fantastic threat uh, and he looks great doesn't he and I I think that's a very Doctor Who-y thing to do is to have an all-powerful alien looking like uh, a, a, a sort of an old gent on a veranda <laughs> having a what looks like a bit of creme de menthe with a with a buttonhole um yeah do, do, you know bringing down it's making it's all powerful things you know work within a budget but also it makes it makes it sort of work timelessly i love the fact that the doctor even the doctor's slightly pissed off with the exposition now he's like, yes what else what else do we have to get 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 out of you before we get the plot going but i actually think this is even though it's pretty you know straightforwardly done in terms of let's get this all let's let's dump this information immediately not organically have it as part of the story it's like a it's like an opening chapter it's like a prologue or a preface uh, before the story proper um which is slightly cheeky but it's it's done with two old sweats um but some good lines and i think cyril luckham judges it well that shot is incredible what a way to herald uh, the arrival of the beautiful Mary Tam uh, in a stunning dress from a debuting costume designer, the fabulous June Hudson, who I think is, I mean, just makes everything look uh, either elegant or operatic or... And I think it's the right way to go. Uh, it, it does run the risk, perhaps, of... No, it doesn't. No. I think you need to embrace Doctor Who with both hands. I think where Doctor when Doctor Who looks drab uh, and has people talking about highfalutin things while dressed in beige or that, that wonderful phrase, you know, squabbling rubber... Um, but I think when it goes, well, let's really, you know, embrace the the largeness of this, the joy of this, the fun of this, never knowingly undersold, be it a, a performance or a costume. Now, doing large has to be well judged. I love Tom Baker. I don't think he always is reined in enough or and I, and I think he is sometimes wayward now. You you pays the you 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 you, uh, you know you you pays the money. You what's the what's the phrase? You, you what I'm alluding to is you you get an actor with this sort of presence, confidence, and eccentricity, uh, and the rewards you get do sometimes come with with uh, some some kickback. And I think that that is Tom will try anything, uh, and it means we get some moments of absolute brilliance but sometimes it means we get some moments that 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 don't quite work and and would i have would i rather have that than someone that that never does the moments of greatness should life be like that i think perhaps it should although i would say and uh, and uh that i think 
you know patrick troughton is 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 another mercurial actor i don't think he has as many way i don't think he has wayward moments in the way that that, that tom baker does and i think some of that's tied in with the length of time that tom baker plays the part and what we know about him and i think you know we know that he would test directors he would test other actors in fact what i love about this key to time season um is actually when i rediscovered it on on dvd uh, and that gorgeous box that it came in it was when i and, I, and, I, and you know it was quite a lot of money and i remember Oh, I bought the key to time season because it wasn't a season I knew brilliantly. I never had the VHSs. I borrowed the VHSs off a friend of mine, um, uh, uh, and he never actually got them back. Uh, he doesn't want them back now because technology has moved on. But my friend Bernard, uh, who played Tylos in Full Circle, I met this guy and he lived not far away. And he was in Full Circle, uh, and he lent me the key to time season. And that was really when I had seen it on bootleg. But that was when I watched it properly which was quite late on it was after I left university um, so it took me a long time I think to to, to learn to to realize how great this this story was because watching it on a slightly sort of mucky VHS I, th I think didn't help with its charms I was slightly worried approaching this because I I have the feeling that much of what I love about it is the things that people say to each other and the very nature of this is that I have to talk through it so there will be various brilliant lines that will i'm sure be missed uh, uh and it's the lines and the performances that uh, i think i've always really enjoyed about this which means i've 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 had this waiting in the wings and have approached it with some trepidation partially because dan is a playwright uh, who i will know will probably choose rich textural things but might not be as easy for me to pick up upon because of this process which involves not shutting up uh, which, uh, you know, so, the, you know, this is what, this is, they're slightly wobbly claws, the Shrivenzal. He Dan said in his introduction, it's not a great monster story. Um, uh, it, it is about the characters. Unstoff and Garen are fantastic. Um, but yes, what I, what I, what I was saying, when I rediscovered this on, on DVD, one of the great joys was listening to Tom Baker and Mary Tam on the commentaries because they obviously got on. They obviously had great respect for each other. Mary Tam, because she has this ice maiden thing going on as, as Romana, and I think she's written as, as, as sort of aloof, I hadn't realised just what a laugh uh, she was. Um and that really comes across in the DVD commentaries. And I've seen a few on stage interviews with her since uh, at conventions. And she's this stunning classical beauty. And I think she's from Eastern European stock, wasn't she? So she has she she has those those that sort of stunning, slightly aristocratic looks about her. But I think she was also uh, a Yorkshire woman, wasn't she? And, and has a sort of blunt game sense of humour. And uh, I wish I had, uh, I wish I had got to know Mary Tam because I think I'd have liked her a lot, and and I actually think Mary Tam is is perhaps slightly more interesting than Romana somehow is allowed to be. I'd be, I'd be very interested to see how I react to Romana, because I remember when we wrote Running Through Corridors, neither Rob nor I had an awful lot to say about uh, Romana one. Uh, and I don't, I'm not, I still haven't quite got to the bottom of that. 
um because because obviously they have a great rapport um and it's interesting because the doctor and leela have a great dynamic and it's you know it's no secret that uh, tom baker and louise jameson didn't get on but i do like the idea that apparently yeah tom was a bit tom baker was a bit uh you know rude to mary tam and she stood up to him and got his respect and and yeah they discovered they shared a similar sense of humor so there's a different sort of dynamic uh going on between doctor and companion and how do we feel interesting how do we feel about the fact that somebody's come and said of our hero um actually it didn't do that well in class and i'm a bit cleverer than you um but the series has never been afraid to do that it's never been afraid to show the flaws of it here so john, john pert was vanity was you know often front and center and often led to him having to cover up for his own folly patrick trout and 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 zoe you know um uh there's no doubt that the doctor is fiercely intelligent but he's perhaps you know too busy mucking about building his own time space manipulator out of you know fizz bombs god stoppers and mud uh and and uh, a Ford Fiesta uh, than he is to sit down and learn the proper science and do well in exams and I you know I that appeals to me because because you know I'm not a reader of instructions uh, I don't have the patience to do things properly so I always get through by the skin of my teeth uh, and usually make things much more difficult than they need to be so that element of the the doctor I you know I've I feel good about myself if I if I if I identify with the doctor because obviously the doctor is a brilliant, charismatic, clever, uh, and intelligent and heroic person. So if if I have some traits that aren't necessarily good traits, that I can sort of go, ah, oh, yeah. But if the doctor does that, they must be up to something. Now I, I'm loving the design on this. I, I think the costumes are magnificent. I know a lot of them came from stock, but it doesn't matter. Um, making bbc drama is all about marshalling the resources at your disposal and i believe this is cold and and i suspect it was really really hot because they're in a television studio and it's it's obviously studio bound but that's okay i mean the bbc shakespeare's were obviously studio bound and they were you know illustrious high-end productions this looks great that's a fantastic set from ken ledsham um I'm, i love the snow i just th think the snow makes it feel a bit a, a, a bit different um so i love the whole feel of ribos ribos see I, t I, I i think i like to think i know a bit about doctor who but i've got a real <laughs> i've got a real brain fog when it comes to and time lord i I'll, I'll always have to check how time lord is laid out is it time lord or is it time lord um and i know but I forget, and then I lose confidence in myself. It's the same with Reboss and Riboss. Do you have any blind spots, listeners? Um, <laughs> oh, now I have, I have put on my Patreon page on patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Uh, I have asked uh, some of those very generous people who keep me in uh, uh, gobstoppers and oxygen to... Uh, to send questions or observations about the stories coming up. I've only had two of them, Nathan Moore and Tim D. 
Dickinson have asked things and suggested things. So I might throw those in if I lose inspiration. Um, how far ahead, asks Nathan Moore. He has a question. Was the key to time idea planned in terms of this season and to what extent was it mapped out? Well, I mean, it was planned far ahead. It was, it was going to have this umbrella theme and uh, the, there was an edict on high to be less silly than uh, the invasion of time. But uh, they, I don't think they mapped out a story arc, and I think that's that's apparent in the way that uh, the, the the key to time is, apart from the sort of looking for the the segments, which writers work in to a lesser and greater extent depending on how they wanted to serve the story. The actual you know key to time plot is is sort of basically two bookends with Valentine Dial and Cyr Cyril Luckham uh, uh, at either end. Uh, that's not quite fair on the Armageddon factor, which I think at least, um, you know, does does sort of tip the nod to go, no, we're getting to the end of the key to time thing now and, and, and we need to up the ante. Um, and Robert Holmes, I think, works the key to time into this um, rather nicely. Everybody's after the same thing, but it's of different value to different people and some of its value is invented. I think I think that's all quite clever. I Right, yes, so confession time. I love this story. This is not going to be difficult for me to eulogise. It might be difficult for me to describe to you because it's so rich in character and dialogue and performance. But this is the sort of thing the BBC does well. This is the sort of thing these kinds of actors do well. It's good acting. It is not necessarily acting you would find much of on television these days. Um I think that's understandable. Um, a lot of this is more rooted in sort of stage tradition. But I, I love these performances. I mean, Paul Seed, I think, is... is it's, it's a, such a big performance as the Graf Vindicate. By the way, the nomenclature of... As well, the Graf Nobody has a name like the Graf Vindicate. And it works. I, don't, I think in the book he's the Graf Vindicate. I don't think uh, Ian Marta could cope with it. I don't know... There's, there's nobody with another name like that but it but it works uh and it doesn't seem silly and it's it, yeah and, and i was thinking about what's the difference the invasion of time is funny there are funny moments in the invasion of time there are deliberately funny moments in the invasion of time it's not as funny as this and yet because this is a different sort of humour. The humour is organic to it. The humour, I don't think, ever pushes itself too far. I think it's slightly smarter. I think it's slightly, it's more disciplined. Um, and that's, yeah, and it's, and it's, I think, when people get a bit carried away. And I think when people try to keep up with Tom Baker or try to ape Tom Baker and don't have what he has. And as I say, sometimes even he is is wayward but but he's a wayward genius uh, and sometimes when you see genius non-genius is trying to keep up with tom baker it, it doesn't quite work it's an it's an ill-fitting outfit I, I think everybody in this has has the strength and presence of performance to to match or complement uh, what tom baker is doing so it's a very consistent production um uh, and she, she does that, that was very good because she's she's sort of deadpanning her way through his excesses and I think that 
serves to ground everything a little bit. I mean, he's he's very shouty, but I totally but because he's a zealot, um, and he's as we discover later on the edge of matters. I love Paul Seed. Paul Seed directed House of Cards, which was designed by Ken Ledsham. Ah ha ha ha. Um, and again, that's what I love about the uh, DVD of this is that they interviewed a lot of the the guest cast from this season. Uh, not just about their individual stories. There's a sort of overarching documentary that talks about working at the BBC at the time because, you know, this was when strikes were happening at the BBC. Uh, Paul Seed became a, a, a hugely respected director and was recommended, I think, by Graham Williams or certainly uh, this production resulted in him um, uh, moving behind the camera. Uh, and directing some absolutely fantastic stuff. Never had the pleasure. He's uh, he's one I'd I'd very much like to to have had the chance to speak with Paul Seed because uh, I love what he does in this and I love his subsequent career. Um, and he's he's got the hardest job really because everyone else is quite funny and he's not really allowed to be, but he still needs to to sort of match the largesse, and he certainly does that, but also be a credible threat, and he is certainly that. Uh, and there are actors who shout less than Paul Seed in Doctor Who, who somehow seem more over the top, or less appropriately over the top, whereas whereas I think he, he, is, he is well... He judges it very, very well. Um... So the yes the I worked with uh, Dan Rebellato on a radio play and it's I have to say the best radio scripts I've ever read um a a production of Dead Souls for Radio 4 uh it was a straight offer for me which was very nice very unusual uh and I got the cast list through and it went Michael Palin Mark Heap Toby Haydock I thought I'll take that how has it got such a strong cast and then I read the script and it was fantastic every character brilliantly drawn uh, and I really liked Dan but we didn't talk about Doctor Who because I didn't know he was a fan and he didn't know I was it was only subsequently on Twitter uh, when I think we followed each other because we'd got on when we'd we'd done the show but he'd been so busy um, supervising the production one of us I can't remember what the tweet was but I know it was about the monster of Peladon and I and I went Han are you a doctor and so it went on now this is John Hamill um, who Here's a piece of trivia. Is very well endowed. There you go. You won't get that on any other podcasts. How do you know that, Toby? Because John Hamill, uh, I mean, you, you, you can find him on the internet. Uh, he was uh, a, a bodybuilder and uh, not a glamour model. I mean, I mean, it's quite a glamorous appendage that he has. Um, and he and he did do some some saucy movies. Uh, but he also did some pretty impressive movies in and and sort of semi-leading roles in in sort of horror-y type movies in the seventies. He's one in one with is it called Trog with Joan Crawford and Bernard Kay, my old mucker, uh, which leads to Bernard Kay being played by somebody in Feud, the series about Joan Crawford and uh, 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 you know the Susan Sarandon. Jessica Lang one. I'm going off piste. I'll talk about that when we talk about Bernard in a story that he's in. But anyway, John Hamill had a sort of decent-ish film career, you know, in any any 
actor to be working in films in sort of featured parts is is a, is an achievement but he also did saucy films and he also did life modeling uh and as i say if you you have a look if you're that way inclined have a look on the internet you see quite a lot of john hamill and there's quite a lot of him uh but uh, 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 uh but yes he was cast in this by by george spencer foster and he, he i think john hamill said that his acting career went off the boil a bit because because of the those movies oh i love the blood in the uh in the mouth of the shrievenzile which was actually apart from the flappy claw was i think oh cyril luckham gets top billing of course um, why do you go oh i knew that um but i like i want to acknowledge it because he's not in it again that's his only appearance in doc two but he gets top billing john hamill there we are um i'm sure i could talk about him a bit later he's <laughs> not gonna be the basic so basically he plays a guard but uh he's got quite a, a, a an interesting uh history um i think he also eventually earned, uh, opened a furniture shop um uh so uh, his, john hamill's wood uh is something that perhaps has many different connotations um Directed by George Spenton Foster, who's an interesting figure, too, who I would sort of like to know more about. We think of him as somebody who died sort of before anybody interviewed, but I don't think he did. I think he died, uh, you know, after he could have been sort of tracked down and talked about Doctor Who, but he'd, I think he'd gone to Australia. Our feeling is that he went to Australia, maybe died in the early 90s, is what I think off the top of my head. Whereas I think we'd always had him as somebody who perhaps died in the early 80s, or he sort of fell off our radar uh, in a way that other Doctor Who directors from that period didn't and were tracked down in interviews, I think. And, and George Spencer Foster had worked on the Quatermass experiment. Why am I saying this when there's no moving pictures? Um, uh, so uh, I need to see what Dan's favourite thing of part one was. What is mine? Well, this is going to be difficult because a lot of the great things are performances and characters that are in all four episodes. So I've got to choose when to play. Obviously, I can't play my Binro the Heretic card because he's not in uh, I in this episode, and I would be flabbergasted if the Binro unstuff uh, scenes are not chosen by both Dan and I. I wonder if this is one where I could actually do well if I play my cards right. But I think for episode one, will he choose Cyril Luckham and the Guardian of the Lights? But I did like that opening with the going dark and the blaring lights. Shall I choose that? Or do I choose R Rebos itself with the snow and, and and the cold and the furs and just that setting that I think is 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 novel and and it feels real and it's well rendered? Or do I choose the opening with the light? I did like that light, watching it on this, this big screen here. I was really impressive with the organ music. Or do I choose... That's only going to be in this episode... And I could do the snow and the and the cold stone and the chill of Rebos later. What do I do? What's boy to do? What's boy to do? I'm going to do, just because I think, I always think of it as a bit of an underwhelming heralding to the key to time idea. You know, a man sitting in a chair. Brilliant though Cyril Luckham is and witty though that exchange is. But actually I'd forgotten. They do actually start the whole season with a bit of a, a a bang and an attempt to be grandiose with that darkness and then that blinding light which i think is is perhaps yeah it, it it's perhaps giving it bigger welly than i than i'd my my 
my general half-remembered feelings were. So I'm going to say that that powerful entrance of the Guardian. Um, it's going to be interesting. I might have to, I might have to play this one. Uh, what is Dan's favourite thing about Episode One? The thing I love about Episode One. I hope this isn't too much of a cheat because this is something that carries on the whole way through. But it's the world building. It's the way the story builds out a really rich sense of all the worlds that are going on in, in this adventure. Uh, first of all, there's Rebos. We actually, we find out a lot about Rebos. We found out about its, um, we find out about its geography. You know, the, the tundra, the ice time, the sun time. Uh, and then connected with that, of course, we find out quite a lot about its culture and its cosmology. Um, there's a real, in fact, in terms of its culture, the a big shout out, I think, for Dudley Simpson's score, particularly in this episode, the scene where they secure the strong room. I think that's what they're doing. Uh, and he creates that wonderful, um, slightly Eastern European feeling uh, organ piece that's very, very memorable, very grand, very atmospheric, is wonderful. We, we sort of find out about the kind of politics and attitudes of the place. It's a really, really powerful evocation of, of, of a planet. And then, of course, we've got a second world, which is the the world of the Graf in Decay, um, you know, the, the Cyrenic Empire, the Levithian throne, the alliance wars we find out they've got these lovely little hints of planets like crestus minor and you know the the labyrinths on freitas and the scar i think is mentioned and so on the whole idea of his brother usurping the throne is great and then the third story is of course garon's story this intergalactic con man which is kind of brilliantly done and we get lovely little hints about his his past the the fantastic line that Unstoff has about saying that he once said he was from a planet called Hackney Wick, which is a brilliant, brilliant joke. Uh, it's 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 brilliant the way the story sets up the whole world. Uh, and Deadly Assassin does it as well. That's, I think that's another story where you kind of go, oh, actually, they've really thought through what this whole world is like. Uh, Keeper of Traken as well is another really, really good one. And this is one of those few stories where the... Uh, the world that the Doctor is entering is so well set up that actually when the Doctor appears, I'm always really surprised. I go, oh yeah, of course, it's a Doctor Who story. Um, the Leisure Hive does that as well in a funny way. But this is, um, this is great. So episode one, it's the world building that uh, absolutely thrills me. Okay, yeah, brilliant. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stand a chance for this because he's really thought about that. And he puts that so brilliantly. He's so he's very clever, Dan. Uh, I I am. He's, you can tell he's a smart, artistic person. He's a, he's the sort of person that you, you. In fact, the last time I saw him, I wasn't. Well, I I I actually I didn't get a chance to speak to him because I was doing something. He was he was. Uh, it was at the National Theatre uh, tea rooms, and he was talking to Simon Williams. Um, and I do imagine I imagine Dan just wearing a scarf and bumping into Gore Vidal on the South Bank. Um, and being clever. Uh, uh, so Matt, perhaps 
yeah, bumping into Gore Vidal, or probably talking, because he's, he's not a snob, he likes popular culture. Uh, chatting to Gore Vidal about Rent-A-Ghost, that's what, whilst wearing a scarf, that's what I imagine Dan's perfect life is like. Um, uh, so, um, which is why I'm thrilled uh, that he's doing this, and, and, and what, what a, I love that contribution, because yes, he's absolutely right, and nails the brilliance, I think, of Robert Holmes's writing and the economy with which he world builds, and and it's a it's a common thing in all of his scripts, uh, and I probably won't tire of talking about it um, because of the way that he can build a world that we never see with a line, uh, and it's very very clever writing um, uh, that's also very easy on the ear because the things he describes come to life because of his vocabulary um uh and uh, you know his use of language and character very good choice better than uh, a a lighting effect and an entrance and a, and a bit i chose a bit i chose a couple of seconds he really thought about that uh, <laughs> well there we are um i don't th yes interesting interesting that i thought i might struggle to to speak during that uh i'm still i'm still not hopeful i'm going to be able to fully be eloquent about the greatness of the rebos operation but it is certainly a thing of greatness um so uh i'm gonna give it my best shot so something will happen in episodes two three and four i'll, I'll make sure that i don't say nothing ever Uh, I've loved the way that different people have responded to this challenge. Some people have surprised me um, uh, 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 and uh, some I, I'm not surprised at uh, how, how Dan has approached this. I thought he went into great detail with episode one. So he's going to have really interesting things to say. Um, so let's see what, uh, first of all, you, lovely listener who's come to my house, at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I don't know if you want to go back and watch the video of part one. Um, or if you want to listen to my voice in part one. My partner is asleep on the sofa because she's had a very long day uh, and didn't want to and wanted to be down here. Um, but I've but because of the way that my cameras and everything is set up, I've sort of got them all plugged into cables because they were running out of batteries. Uh, and during one point in part one, she was moving in her sleep and her leg was sort of flying about and I had to keep an eye out to make sure she didn't kick the camera tripod over or catch her leg in the cable. So, um, and, I, and I've decided to be professional and not refer to it at the time. But thinking about it now, I'm thinking, I must have been looking with abject terror to see, make sure the camera wasn't being kicked over. Anyway, this is all part of it. I'm in a jolly mood this evening. I've been really buoyed by getting to grips with episode one of the rebos operation so now join me for episode two as we press play in three two one um yeah and it's not a story as dan said in his introduction to part one uh it's not a story that a lot of people talk about and yet funnily enough 
this was claimed very early on. Dan was one of the first people I approached to do this and one of the first people to come right back at me. And he even put his own background in the video. If you're listening to the audio version of this, he's, he, he was speaking from inside the TARDIS because he'd, he'd, he'd gone to real effort with the video, which I do appreciate. Um, but then somebody... I do like the... You don't see enough blood in Doctor Who. I know that's... that's but I have... A, 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 there's a bloodthirsty child inside me. Um... I mean, that's that's me. I haven't just eaten a bloodthirsty child or kidnapped one and kept it in my stomach. Um, we haven't even mentioned Prentice Hancock. Um, but um, somebody else. Uh, I, I, I asked I asked um, uh, somebody else to to to, to nominate a, a, a story. And uh, the message came back saying, oh, yeah, they'd really like to choose uh, the Rebos operation. I was like, it's already been chosen. And one, they were very surprised. And two, they were really annoyed because they wanted to be the ones that champion the Rebos operation. And there's something to said about that, isn't there? There's something uh, about, you know, it's a, it's obvious to, to, to eulogise uh, the caves of Androzani. And I love it and I will. But I but that's easy it doesn't feel quite so cool as going but when we get to the androids of tara i'm loving that as well i mean i have to love all of them but but uh, i will find it uh, i will feel i will and it's something about again this identifying with you know the doctor who 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 doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't follow the crowd or whatever you know there's 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 always something much more satisfying about uh, liking a story that other people don't like because you're sort of going ah but that means uh uh, you know, I can discern things that the lesser mortals cannot. Uh, <laughs> that's a nice hire. Did Spenton Foster's actually... We, we never really talk about George Spenton Foster as director. Did I say he worked on uh, the Quatermass experiment? He was a cool boy, and, and, and then he worked on Out of the Unknown, so he had science fiction pedigree. Um, now, somebody should have made those two guards kneel in the same way. Uh, is my thought with that. Regards uh, Shreves. Um, uh, uh, Dudley Simpson's doing a cracking job on this. Um, I mean, presumably we're not supposed to, this. This isn't real music, uh, but it, it does sort of blur the lines between what is ceremonial music that we're supposed to, that you know, that is there in the world, because uh, it's big, isn't it? It's filling the room. It's filling the screen. But I love it. And and uh, is this Prentice Hancock's best performance in the show? Uh, I think he's saddled with two very tricky parts in Planet of Evil and uh, Planet of the Daleks. Uh, he's actually very good in the episode two of Spearhead from Space. He's very natural because he does he does tend to play parts of people who are rather fur unnecessarily furious. You get the impression that his character's always just dashed off a letter to the council about the state of the pavements. <laughs> and then has had to, and then has been and has been called just as he, just as his coffee was at the right temperature uh, and he was just about to have a drink and now somebody's come to ask him who his favorite muppet is uh, and he's oh, he's so it's a bit cross. But it's very useful in this because he's actually a very solid sort of po-faced and he's not and he's not yielding to the temptation to join in with everybody else because that's not what the job of this character is uh uh 
he's he's playing it straight. I like the way he stroked his moustache with his leather glove there. Um, but he's he's complimenting what Ian Cuthbertson is doing so gloriously, very well. Do I I, I don't really go on forums much much anymore, apart from to plug plug my wares or whatever. But I remember there was a there was a thing on Outpost Gallifrey where somebody listed all the guest characters I think in Doctor Who and just said uh, best guest character and you had to eliminate one. And people did them all for really arbitrary reasons. And it was just a silly, a random thing. But when there were about 11 left, it was there were people left like Astrid from uh, Enemy of the World, who I think won it in the end. But Ga of the last 11, I think Garen, Garen was the only one who was really a, a brilliant character. Because as I say, it was a sort of silly thing that was, was done. There were no rules. It was a bit sort of Mornington Crescent-y or whatever. Uh, and I remember the abject disappointment. Somebody very innocently, who I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe they didn't know Rebus Operation or maybe they, they were just playing this game with no rules in their own way, got rid of Garen and the palpable sense of everybody else on the forum going, oh no, that was, he was the one that was supposed, he's the only one left that's actually got anything about him. Uh, and, and I remember the, the first thing that they were going, what? Oh, I didn't know. Sorry. <laughs> you know, you could tell everybody listening to it was going, well, so long as nobody deletes Garen, this whole thing we've been doing for months is going to be worth it. Because <laughs> um, Ian Cuthbertson is really, really good uh, and very well known for being uh, uh, in uh, in Charlie Endell Esquire in Budgie and uh, and he's in the Stone Tape by Nigel Neal, uh, great man of the theatre as well. I think he had something to do with the Royal Court, where Dan I think has done stuff. Um, I like Shellac Scar as well. The, 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 the relationship between these two is brilliant. The characters are really well drawn. He's got very wet lips, hasn't he, Paul Seed? It's because he's doing a lot of shouting. Uh, but it's good shouting. Um, and and Dan talked a lot in part one about, yeah, what, what his story is. Uh, the fact that he's... But the idea that the Doctor Who story is about a con, I think, is is nice and you know now that we have you know things like hustle and uh, and the uh, you know the oceans 11 i know that's a remake but that spawned a few others didn't it and, and sort of capers not many doc two stories of capers i know time heist was more recently wasn't it i think i think the the caper is a is a genre that doctor who could do a little more especially if it brings us into the orbit of characters like garen and unstoff who are consistently through this story working against the doctor and yet you really like them uh and that's a nice pull for the audience is you because you, what you're sort of often you're thinking you know how is the doctor going to defeat this baddie and i'll enjoy you know watching the doctor escape uh the doctor and the companion not die and escape whereas this it's more like well we you know we yeah we want them to outwit these con men but we also like the con men so how are we gonna end this story satisfactorily with all of the people we like okay seeing as those two outcomes seem at odds with each other um and all and all this all this backstory and the and the, and the con and uh, 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 and the fact that G Garen is being as bold as brass uh, 
trying to uh, to outwit these. You know, we're in no doubt that these are very, very dangerous people. Uh, um, I'm going to be I've got I'm going to run a great risk of doing what under normal circumstances I'm sure you'd love me to do of, of being quiet because I, I, I love listening to this dialogue. I love watching these performances. Um, but <laughs> and he's having such fun. I think he was written. He was conceived as an Australian character, which is why I think we still have the line about Sydney Harbour Bridge in. Is that in the next episode? Um, but the the casting meant that uh, uh, that was slightly changed. Although Ian Cuthbertson was Scottish, um, uh, but uh, the Hackney Wick stuff and all of that is great. Oh, and this is the whole. This is a great con. So they've gone in to this chamber and they have placed the Jethric, which is a dummy. Jethric, the, the scringe stone. So it's quite an elaborate con. So we've got Unstoff here. I haven't mentioned Nigel Plaskett either. I'm going to have time, aren't I? So don't... don't. Um, so we don't actually know yet that this is Unstoff. Uh, or do we? I don't... But that we do now. And he's, and he's having fun. Uh, <laughs> and he plays this part of Unstoff playing this part very well and he does have a really innocent face he was very well known for a nasal spray advert uh Nigel Plaskett playing a character called Malcolm uh so one of those yes one of those you don't get that quite so much anymore but an actor who's not a household name being known as that bloke from that advert uh when of course there were only a very small number of channels and you know adverts were were, were seen uh, much more widely uh, um uh, but but this this place this placing of him to tell this story which he does so seemingly guilelessly uh and of course the jethric uh is is it's the comp because it is actually worth a lot but they're pretending that they don't know it's worth anything which means that the guys being conned think that they're conning the conners which in terms of the morality you know enables the con merchants to go well actually come on we're actually conning guys who are thinking they were conning us so in a way we can sort of get away with it um Whereas actually what it's worth is it's worth even more to the Doctor and Romana because it turns out to be the segment of the key to time, which is shows how in, ingeniously it's been uh, it's been brought in. Uh, and I like the fact, I think in lesser hands, that would have been a knee to the leg and Unstoff would have gone, oh, and it would have been an obvious, you're doing, instead the quiet standing on the foot has the same effect stop going over the top you're overplaying your part uh let's have a bit of a comedy correction and a bit of uh yeah, physical pain uh, 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 uh deployed from the senior member of the partnership to the junior comedy klutz all that's you know par for the course but uh i'm i'm pleased that instead of it being an obvious oh 
Um, I love his Scringestone uh, speech. That's a glorious moment. That may well... Uh, that certainly qualifies for... <laughs> for being my moment of the episode but i'm sure it uh it's not going to be the lone moment of of beauty in this romana's coat is glorious as well and that why because white is very dangerous uh, I, I mean mary tam is one of those people you can imagine would wear white for the entire day and not and uh, not get a blemish on it uh, I'm the sort of person that puts on a clean shirt and I, I either scuffs it or a button falls off or I get bean juice on it within approximately 30 seconds, even if the nearest bean is on Mars. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a scruffy man and I, I'm not happy about that. I, I have a brother who holds himself very well and can dress out of stuff that he's, he's bought from a second-hand shop and make it look a million dollars. Uh, you put me in a Versace suit... I would look like uh, a, 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 a vicar who'd been rolled around in a yard and then uh, put inside a vibrating car uh, and then covered in brambles and sick. Uh, <laughs> I have a very positive self-image. Um, and I, I suppose I can understand why... I, Doctor Who fans aren't massively turned on by this. It's a very, it's an atypical story. It's a curious one for a season opener. Um, you know, it's a it's a very charming fable um, that that you know you could you could I, I think you'd have as a sort of mid season uh, jolly. Uh, nowadays where you know you've you've earned the right to have one of those because you've had you know planets exploding in episode one and you know fleet of daleks in episode 12 and you know in the middle yeah you can have you can have uh, a, a, a bit of a bit of something a bit lighter um this is uh oh it does that so well because he's it's a comic performance but he you know the 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 genuine danger lurking beneath all of this is palpable it's very clear so i'm not saying it's a frivolous story at all the the sense of danger is 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 very well conveyed um but it's a it's an undercurrent um and it's done through character uh the cold acting in this is very good. I know that's a th that that may sound like I'm damning it with faint praise, but I believe that it is cold here, uh, and I know for a fact that it is not. Um, uh, oh, and so yes, the graph is being bugged, so his suspicions have been aroused. So it becomes bluff and double bluff and cross and double cross in the best way that a crime caper should be um gosh she looks amazing that she uh, and i'm not just talking about physical attractiveness although she is a very physically attractive woman she is so elegant and doctor who is a low budget show and and anything that can bring natural glamour uh is is really really helpful because Doctor Who's not a very glamorous show. It's not the Avengers, which had big budgets and was all on film and had, you know, movie actors and all of that sort of thing going on. This is Television Center, uh, 
in the 70s. Uh, th 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 those are not necessarily glamorous things. And yet Mary Tam effortlessly just, I think, adds class and yeah, glamorousness. Um, I, I love Nigel Plaskett. He's extremely likable. He was he's a puppeteer for Spitting Image. I, I, I'm assuming not the modern iteration of it. It's just been relaunched uh, as I record this. Um, but when Spitting Image was at its height in the 80s, Nigel Plaskett was was uh, was one of the puppeteers, and he's just launched a series on on Children's BBC where he's uh, he's he's still part of uh, uh, that that side of things. He's a vocal performer too, but uh, and I think he's involved in production as well. Um, I wrote, I wrote it up, but these days, knowledge, information, unlike in the olden days when I would, uh, you know, stuff seemed to stick limpet-like into the recesses of my brain, where I'd go, uh, where I could go, you know, John Hamill was in this film and that film and the other. Uh, Nigel Plastic, I've written extensively about in my column for Doctor Who magazine about a new series that he's launched on Children's BBC this year, uh, and I know it's. If it's not puppety, it's it's animated or something. Uh, and <laughs> I actually wrote the words. I read the press release. I looked it up. Check check my story. Blah blah blah. blah. Can I remember the details now? Something that I committed to print two months ago. Nope. What's your name? Why am I cooking my shoes? <laughs> That's how it happens. Uh. No, it's glorious design work. And I, yeah, I love this. Uh, anyth I, I don't know, anything that's sort of silent understanding between characters uh, always has a, a weight for me. And when it's done well, it, it uh, you know, when faces and actions speak louder than words, I always find that quite compelling dramatically. There's, there's some sort of subterfuge going on and, and it gives it a weightiness, you know, um, did Robert Keegan run a donkey sanctuary? I think he might have done, you know. Uh, but he was well known for Z cars and softly, softly. He was Sergeant Blackett. So he was a very well-known uh, face on television, Robert Keegan. Uh, uh, but he's, he's great here as uh, Sholak. I, I like the relationship. I like the fact that the subordinate is the older man. And so, although the Grafin Decay outranks Sholak, he respects him, uh, and uh, and and Sholak is, uh, you know, is the old soldier um, uh, who, uh, yes. Although, as I say, he is he is subordinate to the Graf. Actually, their relationship goes up and down depending on what each is bringing to the table. It's a good dynamic that I don't think I've explained brilliantly, but, um, and I like the way the actors do it. I believe the actors have, I believe these guys have a history. Uh, I certainly believe they respect each other. Uh, um, uh, and, 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 you know, credit to, to, as I say, credit to Prentice Hancock, who, who was a, a, an actor, you know, that people knew. And, and, and I think, on the back of better parts, uh, you know, to accept the role of captain, he doesn't even have have a name. Uh, uh, it's it's important having somebody no nonsense in that role. Uh, 
and and I think he does it well. Um, and I, and I have said about um, Prentice Hancock, who I've had the pleasure of interviewing, and and I've enjoyed the company of. Um, uh, uh, but but I but I, I sometimes when he's playing those sort of hot-headed characters, uh, he he does have that. Uh, he does have a strange ability to be both wooden and over the top at exactly the same time. And I, I think that is quite a skill, but it's an odd one. Uh, and it's, yes, it's bold, isn't it? Cause this, uh, but again, the, the wind and the snow, this, this works. I mean, yeah, it's studio bound, but uh, I think the illusion, uh, the illusion is given and, and carried off. Uh, and yes, it's fake snow and it's not melting. And you nowadays, I mean, there's a company that paints breath onto actors. Uh, I remember a, f a friend of mine was uh, was in Band of Brothers, and I was surprised when he told me that a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that they did in the snow episodes was done in the studio. I couldn't believe it. And he said, "Yeah, and yeah, and they, there's there is a company." Uh, and I can't remember what they're called, but they're called something like Snow Breath or something like that. And their job is to go frame by frame to give actors cold breath in, uh, uh, you know, to, to sell the illusion of that. It's absolutely extraordinary that in, in such a small amount of time, how little different pockets in the industry crop up to tackle certain, you know, certain problems um, that we we just you know you just knew well they can't do that so you know we just have to accept that uh, and you did as viewers you colluded um uh, in 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 television drama of this time um you you knew that this was a a, a suggestion of reality and the reality maybe came from the performances even if it's a heightened reality um uh, and, and you know the, the the artifice of the sets and that sort of thing passed for reality you accepted um that it was a suggestion an evocation of what was real and that's why i've always loved the acting in doctor who because the people in it have to convince you of things that aren't true and are sometimes spectacularly untrue and are sometimes spectacularly silly uh, they're sometimes spectacularly inconceivable uh and and it and it has to and you we have to think it's real um and <laughs> now this is this is because uh, because tom baker tom baker you can tell when he respects the person that he's acting opposite uh he'll sometimes join in he's sometimes a bit deferential uh this is very good uh yeah it's it's uh no one makes a fool of the graph in the can lives oh yes i love this i think it's absolutely terrific um but um yeah is am i am i keen on that final close-up of the doctor i'm not sure but that doesn't matter that doesn't matter there's a few of those where tom sort of 
slightly nods and winks at the the i remember the end of episode one of the sun makers he kind of does that really um it's it's one of those yeah it's one of those things that i think uh uh a a stronger producer might have gone yeah let's let's not do those things um but it's glorious that's glorious uh and tom baker and ian cuthbertson i think is a match made in heaven uh june hudson's done like doing a great job ken ledsham too um it's good in it it's good in it so what am i gonna what am i gonna choose for that i think uh come on pause sorry everybody i just need to don't know why this is not pausing Hang on. Uh, sorry, my remote. Can, I had te technological problems, so I've just had to do a, a, a quick edit. Oh. I couldn't pause my disc, so I've had to take it out. So uh, I might have had to do a quick edit there, but I've not been cheating. So uh, let's have a look. So my thing, I think... My thing for episode two, before we cut to playwright Dan Rebolato to see what he has chosen for episode two, I think it's got to be Unstoff's Scringe Stone tale, uh, which I think is delightful. And it's a great synthesis of, you know, Robert Holmes's world building, even though it's a false world that he's built. It is still rich and gorgeous. Um, the performance of Nigel Plaskett doing it. The whole, I think the, the judgment of the whole scene is pretty spot on and uh it's negotiated very carefully and i think with a deftness and a lightness of touch and i enjoy being in it i enjoy being, and i know and it's and it knows it's slightly silly but i think it, it i think you know that it knows that uh and it's just like a warm blanket of cheerfulness and joy and everybody sort of enjoying themselves but not sometimes uh, when everyone's having a good time they forget to to make sure you do too you're absolutely joining in with that you're you're having a a cozy old jolly time in that scene with a lot of people working in a rather lovely fashion so the scringe stone monologue by unstoff what's dan chosen episode two uh, so I'm going to go much more specific here. The thing I love in episode two, probably most of all, is the scringe stone scene uh, in in the strong room. Uh, and uh, I love it. I accept it doesn't really make much sense. It's not clear at all what Unstoff is doing 
is he really, you know, they've got a very worked out plan and he seems to go completely off piste to try and get, you know, a little bit of money for a fake map, which seems kind of weird. Uh, I also accept it's very odd that Unstoff uh, and Garen are carrying around this piece of Jetric, which by all accounts, it makes anyone unbelievably wealthy. So why they need to do these con tricks, I don't know. But that aside, it's a fantastic scene. It's very, very funny. It's a brilliant interplay of all the main characters. You've got Garen and Unstoff. You've got Sholak and the Graf in Decay. And then you've got uh, uh, the Doctor and Romana. And it's kind of fantastic seeing the... Uh, discomfiture of of Garon as Unstoff starts talking, the sort of bemusement and suspicion of the Graf and, and Sholak, uh, and then the fantastic moment where, and it really feels like it's Tom Baker doing this as much as the Doctor, where he sees the awkwardness going on and he thinks, that's fun, I'm going to go in and wind this up even further uh, and uh, it's uh, and Tom Baker is just wonderful in that sequence and you know he's joining in and chatting and everyone is sort of bemused by his presence uh, it's it's a it's a fantastic thing it's very as I say it's very very funny I think it ends with um, the a very that very funny line that I uh, I th I've thought about very often that when they've been saying that Unstoff can't be a crook because he has such an honest open face and Tom Baker saying to Romana very sharply but he wouldn't be a very successful crook with a dishonest face uh, great line, fantastic Yes I chose the same thing as Dan so it's one all oh, the stakes just got higher Uh, we are on the Rebos Operation Episode 3. Um, I'm having a whale of a time. I hope this is a story that you like. And if it's one that you hadn't liked prior to this, it's maybe inspired you to go back uh, and watch it. If you've never seen it, why are you listening to this? Watch it first. Um, well, do what you want to do. But um, I, I think it's better better to unfold uh, uh, uh you know having me ruining it for you uh, after you've actually seen it unsullied but i am going to press play and i hope you are too in three two one um i mean i as i think i touched upon last week i uh, last episode i i can sort of understand why people who, for whom doctor who is a stories stories of monsters and invasions and all of that and that's very much me certainly when i was when i was younger i'm not sure this would have massively floated my boat if i did see it and i may well have seen it but i don't remember it um but i know the pirate planet was it must have been the repeat and this this wasn't repeated um at that point um um uh, Tom's fooling about a bit here. Um, uh, I'm not sure I approve of people like me calling Tom Baker Tom. I don't. I don't like it when the magazine does it. When it, uh, and, and you know, if I write articles, I I use the person's surname uh, uh, because I don't. I don't like it when a journalist is too familiar 
and especially when writing you know these are these are not our friends these are our heroes but i i have i have worked with him and and uh, uh and he's nice to me and uh but i i'm aware it might come across i'm i'm aware you might judge me for it and part of me doesn't blame you but i'm i'm not meaning to suggest that we're bosom buddies um uh, and i think as a doctor who fan one should have more deference than than sometimes i think doctor who fans show the show i'm as a, you know i'm a fan i am subservient to the show uh that's that's how i see it um anyway let's not get into that it's boring um which this is not um uh but it's interesting seeing glimmers of tom's tom baker's mr baker's lord lord baker of gallifrey's uh messing about there putting garen in front of him uh all of that the what the scringe stone <laughs> that's brilliant i i i love the 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 payoff to that and that the the graph is you know the scringe stone in unstop sounds so ridiculous but when graph says it this and this is brilliant i like the way that paul seed goes on this journey uh and and never sends never sends up the graph you know he, he is still a dangerous dangerous man and i like Sholak's sort of wry amusement he's a he's a he's an acidic uh general who's seen it all but it means he can afford to take his time and enjoy how amusing he finds this guy who he would kill without a second's thought um i i buy it all i believe it all um um so yeah i as i say i can understand why for for people you know who like uh, a, a base under siege for some monsters this might not be their idea of what doc 2 is and i mean in many ways it's much more like uh uh, a, a, a sort of funny historical the monsters are very cursory um you know it's it, it's setting is not futuristic uh it's you know it's in a bbc costume drama it's in a uh it is essentially you know it's almost like it's on the oh more blood there i don't remember that blood you don't see much blood in doctor it's almost like blood is slightly too realistic um i, I, I know there's a bit if you look hard you can glimpse it uh thorn has a bit doesn't he in uh yeah, when he gets a, a spear in him in uh in the power of crow um and uh and uh you know condo gets his stomach blown open that's a slightly different that's it's more than just blood but you don't see an awful lot of blood in uh in doctor who i there was a bit in day of the daleks when boaz gets killed i'm not going to sit here and adumbrate all the moments you see blood in doctor who um but i i would say it's uh you know it's not seen as often as it it would real in real life have been seen had all of the people who've died in doctor who um shed blood when they perhaps should have done um which means it's quite it's, as i say i think it's quite novel when you see it but actually in a story like this it's okay because there's the there's it's uh, uh there's there's less it's less alarming i think than if you'd seen it in a story set on 20th century earth with people who worked in shops and offices rather than sort of fruity voiced intergalactic con men uh dressed in uh, uh cast off costumes from a production of war and peace 
Uh, hello, K9. Um, how are you going to get out of the TARDIS? K9 is one, of course, that divides people as well, isn't it? I, I wonder if, if a lot of that is, is you know, people who were pre-K9, who had K9 introduced to them, uh, who, who saw it as a, an unpleasant in sort of as an unpleasant intrusion into their series uh, and people for whom you know canine my first memory is the invisible enemy so i don't remember doctor who without canine uh now the other shreve here is oliver Maguire, who's an irish actor who in things like uh ballet kiss angel and stuff and i think when he died i think he i read i found a death notice for him he was a he was a relative of the actor the actress tara fitzgerald um uh, but yeah, and and he was still acting well into the twenty first century, um, you know, keeping going. But uh, died in twenty twelve, I think. Binro the heretic, and actually, again, on paper, this is guard, but uh, he he gets one of the best scenes in it, uh, and he does it well. There's a lot of history in that, and. Oh, uh, I love Binro the Heretic. I love Timothy Bateson. Timothy Bateson, a fine, fine actor of stage and screen. The first person to play Basil Fawlty. What? Uh, I'll explain later. Uh, there's nobody like the Seeker in Doctor Who either. I love the Seeker. The visual, the makeup, the performance what she is just because i mean her 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 prophecy comes true but i don't in my doctor who universe psychic prophecies don't come true i love that scream i love that that what she does with her hands there uh, and the makeup i i mean i don't i don't believe all of this this isn't i can't this i'm a rational man i can believe in a laser gun uh and a green alien monster i don't believe in uh, psychic bone shakers but it entirely works in this uh, in conception, in execution in look, in performance their reaction to it helps because these are very serious people and again the, 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 these two guys judge their performances so brilliantly um, so just when you think you know this, the story is this sort of you know con it takes on a uh, and this caper it's a word i've used a lot i'm aware it, it takes on this this slightly sort of odd uh you know almost you know the the, the ancient romans you know had their prophecies and their soothsayers so it's a bit like you know suddenly you get, having had a you know a sort of you know if not a comedy of errors as i've mentioned it sort of this is a bit redolent in look of bbc shakespeare well then then uh if it if it you know uh you you, you, you suddenly throw in the soothsayer from julius caesar as well but you know with a painted face and a screamy thing and antlers uh like sort of you, you know hern the hunter's batty sister uh but entirely uh, convincingly done. I And you can look, you can tell that Tom Baker absolutely adores and admires Ian Cuthbertson. Um, 
you know, you can tell that sometimes Tom Baker was probably ignoring everybody and being a bit cussed uh, 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 when the cameras were switched off. I suspect he was having a whale of a time with Ian Cuthbertson. Uh, um, Ian Cuthbertson is in the movie Gorillas in the Mist, of course. Uh, and he was in a thing called Sutherland's Law. Uh, he's in the last couple of episodes of Survivors. Uh, he he uh, had a fine body of work. He he, I th I think he became. Oh, he's an Inspector Morse as well. Um, it's a decent part in an Inspector Morse. But I think he had a he he became he had a stroke in the early eighties. I think. Um, so he, he ch his, his changed his appearance changed a little bit. He, he's a bit more gaunt in some of his later uh, roles, but. He's a marvellously twinkly actor, but totally believable. So why am I not choosing Garen? But, uh, because I don't think I am. It's almost like on that Outpost Gallifrey thing, I'm overlooking him unnecessarily because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking at the wrong things. He is so good. I'm almost taking him for granted, though, I think, is, is part of it. Because he, he's so good. Um, but I expect him to be good. He's Ian Cuthbertson. Um, oh, that, oh, and that was what, uh, what I haven't talked about, that, that sometimes in this, um, Tom Baker's lip, because uh, uh, it does, it isn't in this scene, but uh, while I remember, um, uh, Tom Baker, uh, and it's, it's funny, his, his lip has been bitten by a dog. And to hear him tell the story, he says, and this fellow had a dog called George, and I gave him a sausage. And I said, here's a sausage, George. Yeah, this is Tom Baker waxing lyrical, a dog called George. That sounds like a Tom Baker story. A sausage, that sounds like a Tom Baker story. And then, of course, in the DVD making of, it's Paul Seed's dog. I think it is called George, and I think there is a sausage involved. And sometimes Tom Baker, who is, I think, a teller of tales... Um, <laughs> or an embellisher of tales, which is what we love about him. Um, uh, that's why he is adored uh, by people who think he's Shirley Williams whilst clasping him to their aunt's bosom. Um, uh, it, it, it's a bit like when, he, you know, I think, he, you know, he talked of his, his scarf being knitted by a lady called Begonia Pope, and you go, yeah, you've made that name up. No, there was a lady called Begonia Pope, uh, who knitted Tom Baker's scarf. In fact, I was in discussions with uh, one of her relatives. So I, I have emailed back and forth with... Uh, oh, I think... I think I read that he gets... Yes, he gets a light. He gets to say, right, sir. And I think Pat Gorman, who plays Trooper Crow, uh, got an extra 50 quid for that. You increase your fee if you get a couple of lines. Uh, now, of course, they hide actors and uh, uh, and as what would normally what in the older days would have been a speaking part is a they do a bit of an over the shoulder shot and do a bit in ADR so they don't have to pay anybody properly. Um, so so you know parts that used to be speaking parts played by by actors are now a, a, a sort of a, a, a cheat played you know by, by an extra and, a, and an ADR person, which just saves a little bit of uh, money. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's probably something that only I care about, but um, it is a way of eroding the opportunities of 
actors uh, and, you know, the money goes somewhere, but it goes less and less to the performers. And, you know, good actors are worth their weight in gold. And good performances, they speak to us. They entertain us. They impress us. They sometimes um, distract us. Uh, they sometimes uh, give a bit of extra sparkle to something that needs it. Uh, it's, there's absolutely no question. Uh, and, and, I don't, and I try not to think of things in advance um because it's important that i watch this and there have been some times when i've been surprised by a story I go, oh, i'll choose that bit i wasn't expecting to there's no way i'm not going to choose a scene between two characters who've never been in doctor who before and are never in doctor who again neither of them played by um particularly famous actors uh you, you, you know but, but Bateson I think was recognizable as a as, as a as an actor because he was a very busy act character actor um, Plaskett maybe from from the advert but but I don't yeah maybe um but you know they're not they're not people you'd ever put in a list of guest stars who've uh, you know turned up in you'd never believe which actors have turned up in Doctor Who The material they're given is lovely, so that's a start. The fact that this has no impact on the story at all, it doesn't even have... Sometimes, you know, you get nice character moments where somebody will tell a story or something like that, which it thematically you know echoes another element of the story gives you a nice little bit of symmetry to the storytelling or emphasizes an element of the storytelling or 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 helps to drive it or illustrate it or just keep that theme going throughout the story this is this is pretty much an unrelated segue into the private story of a character that the doctor doesn't even does he meet but doesn't have much to do with if anything i'll be interested to know it actually i don't know off the top of my head and under the pressure of having to talk and entertain you um i i i think it's such a beautiful moment where two in the whole history of doctor who relatively unimportant people in a hovel away from the main plot uh where a shabby loss of a man at the end of his life if that shreve's got anything to go by this man is knackered i think that's beautiful that silent uh you know he doesn't know how to articulate how happy that confirmation makes him this knackered old man who's been called every name under the sun and disbelieved and we'll never get any sort of victory apart from somebody saying you were right. And I I know this isn't a story of highfalutin ambition, but he wrote that scene for a reason, probably to pad the episode out a bit. But my God, if you if you if if you're going to be padded out, you may as well be padded out by the best quality material. Uh, I, th I think that's an extraordinary scene. I find it terribly moving. I find it very, very well done. Um, 
Timothy Bateson. Yes, yeah, the first actor to play Basil Fawlty because in an episode of Doctor in the House, Doctor at Large. Great the way Timothy Bateson's looking around because he can hear the voice coming through the communicator. He's a comic character, you know, but that's so beautiful, that bit. Oh, uh, uh, but the f yes, the first iteration of the Basil Fawlty character who was based on a, a, a horrible hotelier called Donald Sinclair was in an episode of the Doctor series and Timothy Bateson played the part. So obviously as a much smaller, because he's not as tall as John Cleese, stuffier, sort of more officious uh, character of the types that Bateson often essayed. Uh, so that's one of his claims. The other is that he was lucky in the very first production of Waiting for Godot. Uh, was it? It was Peter Woodthorpe. Paul Damon, Peter Bull, and Timothy Bateson. Oh, and Michael Walker, who's in The Time Monster and The Claws of Axos, is the boy. But, um, yeah, the Waiting for Godot, a major moment in, you know, European theatre history. Uh, and Lucky, who's a part, who remains silent, uh, and then has this massive speech of, of nonsense. That's uh, a, 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 a one that uh, has no instructions to how it should be played really apart from the fact there's no punctuation in it and it's a it's a really bizarre and strange thing the first person to do it professionally on the stage was timothy bateson on the english stage anyway um yeah ever um love these catacombs and these candles this is all desperately atmospheric it's all old tricks uh from all sorts of you know, dramas and films, but uh, a load of candles in a catacomb does it for me. You don't see them in Doctor Who as often as you'd think. And I think loads of candles is more atmospheric than than the sort of, uh, than the Peladon, you know, flambeau on the, on the wall. I don't know why. Um, yeah, I, I'm, so I'm sorry, spoiler alert, I'm, I'm going to be voting for the Binro the Heretic scene. And if Dan doesn't, I, I, I would think he's only doing that in order to trick me out of a point. Uh, and, but if, if he does, that means we're even Stevens going into part four, which is very exciting because, uh, as I say, if I, if I ever win this, it will be a miracle. Um, he's, I, I love what Tom Baker has that, 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 that slight I, I i'm sort of la laughing underneath this it's something that whilst being deadly serious i mean he's blessed with that marvelous voice and the marvelous presence and the profile and he's got but he can you know he juts his jaw and his teeth sometimes doesn't he with a sort of a grittier insolence um but also he has that know puckered flirtation with ridiculousness that's never too far away and those eyes twinkling with intensity and madness uh he's extraordinary see now this is i think my problem because i i mean in any other story i'd have chosen the seeker she's got a cross on her nose um i and you know ian cuthbertson as garen Paul Seed as the graph. Uh, uh, I mean, in lesser stories, you know, Robert Keegan. Um, 
and a, a special mention to his scar, which I think you know is is a is a smart piece of makeup by Christine Walmsley Cotham. Um, so uh, you know a, a a disclaimer that uh, an apologies for repeating myself, but I, I think it's very obvious for me to choose an actor or a performance. Um, so I I I am going to try and. Uh, seek something more than that because I love the sort of acting in these shows and I love the sort of actors so it would be easy for me to just go episode one Ian Cuthbertson episode two Paul Seed episode three Timothy Bateson do you know what I mean so um, uh, I have to push myself in order to be as entertaining as one can possibly be whilst talking through a Doctor Who story at people I don't know are listening <laughs> but I hope you're having a marvellous time wherever you are uh <laughs> he's delightful and he's got you know he is a sort of absent-minded sort of c comic character but uh there's there's depth and and humanity there um and they do do lots of sort of comic business uh, <laughs> but yeah the shriven Sals are the only monsters uh, in this and we really don't see all that much of them and i actually think the head is 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 pretty good Never like a wobbly claw. And I think, you know, if you'd been a BBC visual effects designer who could solve the problem of the wobbly claw, you might have saved the caves of Androzani from a bit of embarrassment at a key moment. Uh, that there, the, the Shrivenzal, again, at a fairly, fairly important uh, uh, credibility moment. But there we go. Such are the things that... Uh, you had to contend with when making Doctor Who in 1978. Uh, so I hope you're liking this. Uh, and if this is a story that uh, uh, is unfamiliar to because it's, it's weird. It's a story I really like. It's not a story I watch often. Uh, if you ask me to choose which story I like more, Warriors of the Deep or Rebos Operation, I would say uh, which story I think is better. I would easily choose the Rebos Operation. And I think it is better in terms of the quality of production, acting, script, everything like that. There was a naughty, should I, where should I put my hands joke that uh, 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 men in the 1970s could do um, uh, that, uh, that perpetrated there. Um, and this is the episode ending isn't it yeah um, great good because I was running out of steam a little bit because it is ridiculous o'clock uh, and I don't want to do a disservice this. but I think the point I was making was I, I love this story and I think it's very high quality I have seen Warriors of the Deep more often and of an afternoon I might like the sort of the, the simple uh, base under CG business going on in uh, Warriors of the Deep more than this which I think I have to invest in a little bit more it's not quite as simple a pleasure and as I say I, I think it is better in the way that I think that uh, The Empty Child is is uh, probably the best story of, of that season and yet it's a story I've watched less often than some of the others because I think if something is high is, is very high quality it, could, you, it sometimes almost daunts you uh, or it might just be me but I know we I know we do it at uh, 
uh, at home here when sometimes we go, oh, should we watch Inside Number Nine? Because we both love it, and then go, no, because we're not quite in that mood. We want something almost less good. Does that isn't that weird? We, 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 yeah, um, that that sometimes if something is better quality, it is perhaps harder to digest, which is you know I suppose the allure of junk food is that it is effortless. Um, so that I, th I think maybe there are easier stories to watch and let wash over you whereas you have to I think you have to act actively engage with this more but you get more out of it yeah um, I don't know what that proves but uh, I, I think I was just trying to get to why perhaps even though it's a story I love I'm not m as familiar with it as I am with others that I wouldn't publicly profess my love for but you know would uh, would have a little dalliance with and then wouldn't tell anybody about I'd use and abuse them, whereas, you know, I would introduce the reboss operation to my mother. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm choosing the scene between Unstoff and Binro. It's one of the greatest scenes in the whole of Doctor Who. And isn't it amazing that it actually doesn't need to be there? But I, I unreservedly love it, partially for that but for what it stands for, but for the humanity at the core of it, the decency at the core of it, uh, and the quiet, not not expressed, anger at the injustice that breeds it in the first place, that you as a viewer feel, and the unstoffs, unshowy, quiet, you know, it's not, it's not, a t not, not tearful, he's not doing a big heroic gesture, just his quiet affirmation, that that man was right and that that man matters. Uh, I think is a truly beautiful moment in a story full of ripe silliness. Wonderful. I love it. I love Doctor Who and I love that Doctor Who has things like that in it. I'm being terribly serious. I'm sorry. I'm being terribly serious about a story that is in many ways as daft as a brush. Dan's got to choose this. So in episode three, I would be surprised if you don't guess this, because I think it's one of the great bits in the classic series, but it's the Benro the Heretic subplot. Uh, the Benro story, of course, is um, uh, it's it really is a sub subplot. Uh, Benro's role really is only to hide Unstoff quite briefly uh for a portion of the story so uh, and so he's easily replaceable with something else but what they do is they create this wonderful wonderful little subplot of of a kind of galileo figure but you know um uh, galileo who was tortured by the inquisition so he's been forced to recant his um, astronomical beliefs in in stars and and uh, you know a kind of heliocentric universe and all those sorts of things uh, and you have that wonderful little sort of magical thinking wish fulfillment moment of somebody being able to come in to an entirely broken man who is right and telling him your life it has not been wasted you are completely vindicated and it is beautifully done. It's beautifully done. It's it's wonderfully acted by Nigel Plaskett as Unstoff and Timothy Bateson as um, 
uh, uh, Binro, Timothy, uh, he, who is also a fan, uh, extraordinary actor with a great track record, was in the first ever cast of Waiting for Godot in in Britain. I think he played Lucky in Waiting for Godot in 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 the mid nineteen fifties. So he's a really extraordinary actor, and they create a thing that carves out a little space for a story that is very unusual. I think in the classic series, something that is that perfectly crafted and actually that emotional it's a really really moving moment in this actually very very fast-paced story where the story gives us that carves out that little bit of space for something that is very very precious i think yes he chose binro and also knew that he was in the first production of waiting for godo uh, <laughs> uh, i knew i liked him dan Rebellato. Uh, but uh, rather like the Rebus operation, I, I, uh, I know Dan and I like him, but I've not seen him as often as perhaps I should. We're very much, you know, internet friends. Uh, uh, so, yes. <laughs> uh, so a reminder, perhaps, to tune in to the things that, uh, that we like perhaps a little bit more often. Uh, I think we take that away with. But also, I think, you know, that point that he makes uh, about, uh, you know, life meaning something, and it, um, uh, I think is, is, is lovely. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't given the Rebus operation much heed, it's got some great stuff in it, including that rather rather wonderful scene we're on to episode four so i hope you are poised with your player ready or your imaginations geared to uh summon your memories of oh, sorry my set's wobbled haha <laughs> uh the reboss operation part four which we're going to press play of in three, two, one. Ah, oh, so it's a great title sequence, isn't it? This. So I don't know about you, but this is just, just too early for my uh, to have embedded itself in my memory banks from first time round. I do remember the first time I I saw it though. It was uh, it was on a not very good quality VHS uh, bootleg. And uh, I wasn't hugely impressed, if I'm honest. Uh, oh, you don't... Ah, now here's an interesting thing. Because um, I was young. Uh, it's one of those rare things where there's a bit of extra footage inserted uh, in a sort of perils of Pauline kind of way to uh, explain how the Doctor gets out of the cliffhanger uh, oddly because it's not particularly uh, a cliffhangery you know it's not a, it's not a an immediate peril you know somebody's about to shoot him it's more of a kind of oh he's he's you know there's a threat there's a literally mouthed threat of death but not a a, a literal little he's about to die any second now threat of death um but uh, but nonetheless they still inserted uh a little bit of a cheat there, um, which is less troublesome, actually, because um, 
it, it's not a, oh, he's fallen off that cliff and uh, yet when we see it next week, he's fallen off a cliff and somebody's had time to build a shelf underneath it. So uh, I don't object to it in, in the way that I... I would in 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 the sort of cheating ones. Remember, we used to watch a thing called Daredevils of the Red Circle, which was on at weekday tea times. It was a, a repeated black and white thing, like King of the Rocket Men, and they'd have a thing where you know somebody would go, "I'm going to kill you now!" Bang, and then next week it'd be, "I'm going to kill you now!" And then somebody would go, "Look!" They go, "What?" Then everybody would have time to leave the house, drive to Glasgow, um, start a small business, uh, get married, and then they go, "Bang!" Oh, where have they gone? Uh, so it wasn't as bad as that. These are pretty decent caves. Ken, yeah, Ken Ledsham has done a very good job with the sets, I have to say. And in fact, that brings me to uh, Tim Dickinson, who is one of my patrons. I hate how that sounds. I'm on Patreon. Some people are kind enough to uh, contribute. But when I say... I, I he is one of my patrons. I sound, I'm where I sound like the queen. Um, one just has to get used to the new way of doing things. That's, the blocking of that is quite fun. <laughs> Gus Vincent's having fun with uh, Romana's uh, furry surround. Um, uh, Tim Dickinson says, does this look better or should I say a step up? than many of the studio-only stories from the previous few years. Um, I, th I, th I mean, I think it, I think it does. I think it looks, it looks a lot better than a lot of what surrounds it. I think at this time the, the historicals, or those in a historical period, tended to look better than the sort of pure pure sci-fi and although this is you know there are elements of this that are to all intents and purposes historical which is a very clever use of of resources set it on a sort of medieval type planet uh i you know add a laser sword here and there androids of tara um and you have the best of both worlds you have the bbc's brilliant costume and set design infrastructure that is based on you know training and uh, you know, stored resources um, things from other productions uh, and uh, and I think you're automatically at an advantage and I think this this story looks absolutely f magnificent uh, uh, look at those furs and things like that that you probably wouldn't have been able to you know acquire for a uh, you know for a one-off but if they're kicking around because they've been used in, I think, I think War and Peace. Uh, it should have been the Anthony Hopkins one that John Davis directed in 72, 73, I'm, I'm guessing. They're not from that, they're from something similar. Um, so, um, so yes, I think, I think, Tim, they do. It does look, it does look better from uh, much that's around it. And he also asks... Is this the greatest Robert Holmes script? Well, Dan alluded to how, how, how brilliant it was and the world building, which I think is very good. I think what it misses, which I don't miss, and I'm doing that terrible thing now, is worrying on behalf of other people. Um, but I, 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 I do know people who you know don't get particularly 
carried away by the joy of the reboss operation because it is missing a couple of sort of traditional elements of 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 doctor who of um you know it's not terribly scary really uh, and it doesn't really have much of a monster um and and the sci-fi is cursory but you see you get but you get you get stuff like this timothy bateson is great in this scene he's been great since i mean he's great all the way through but and he's you know he's still doing you know 1970s comedy old man acting in a way um but there's such a truth and a decency to it and you know he's a he's a man of a broken mind as well and that's clear is worth a knife yeah it's beautiful and uh commitment have you noticed uh, timothy bateson actually removed his false teeth um in order to uh in order to convince even more as as binro um do people have false teeth anymore i don't know i know there's an actor called david ross who did a lot of bleasdale work who i've seen on stage very oh the original Crichton. Uh, I read an interview with him where he said that when he was quite young, somebody told him to have all his teeth removed. So he had them all removed and their false teeth, which I find quite very strange. Um, God, that's going to hurt, isn't it? Um, but anyway, um, I do. I, I know a couple of people who've got the odd, the odd solo missing tooth. Um, yes, these... These uh, these two are doing sort of comedy, bad guy banter. Um, up and what a bit to the left. Yes, it's not very comfortable that, but that's that's the point to show that these men will will stop at nothing. Uh, and it, oh, and he's so good, and he's got some great stuff to come uh, in this. Um, and I mean Robert. I mean Robert Keegan was the sort of mother that my my the mother, the sort of actor that my mother knew. I always judge an actor by whether my mum who knows who they are or not, because I'm not from a, a, a theatrical family at all. So if if you'd broken through to the consciousness of my of my mum, you'd done pretty well. Perhaps I, that's what I aspire to be: the sort of mum my actor knows who she who who he is. Haha. <laughs> It's interesting. I was, I was looking at Colin Baker's costume the other day. Um, you know, um, pebble dash to loosen a gens on a clown, um, and it's a show. And I, lo- I really like Colin Baker, and and I, I well, I'll talk about him in the Colin Baker ones, but uh, uh, I think he was ill-served by his costume and i was trying to work out why because tom baker doesn't wear things that normal people wear either but there's something about that costume that is sort of timeless i i don't look at tom baker in this and think this is from the 1970s now i wonder if that's because it was already there when i came into doctor who so it just seemed normal because I, I guess John Pertwee's costumes are are quite dated, the hair and the velvet jackets. But to me, they they seem sort of timeless, and I I would have been happy with Pertwee wearing that now. Whereas 
I, I, I'm not sure, you know, Colin Baker's stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I, it just seems to me that the first four Doctors in, particularly, in particular had a costuming policy where even though their, their uh, wardrobe is somewhat avant-garde, it seems to me real and plausible. Um, there's a natural sort of flair and eccentricity to it. Um, whereas, and I, I, you know, I will mention this in, in the McCoy stuff, and it's been mentioned before about, you know, you can only have so many question marks before your mysteriousness is seriously undermined. Like how mysterious I am, you know. It's, it's like Colin from The Far Show, isn't it? The party going, how wacky I am. Um, oh, I do like these two. And, you know, the Robert Holmes double acts. Um, are, are, you know, classic Holmesian double act is only a sentence you'll hear <laughs> issued by Doctor Who fans. But, you know, he's hit upon a winning formula. And, and I think what's important is you believe that these people know each other from before. Who wants everything? I'll settle for 90%. <laughs> oh, and she's got feathers, the Seeker, as well. And that was, that was always a... So how do we feel about the fact that the Seeker absolutely correctly predicts what's going to happen? That all but one of us is doomed to die. Now, we don't get that in Doctor Who very often, where somebody who's sort of... And, and occasionally, I think, it you know, it could be seen as self-fulfilling prophecy rather than, uh, you know, or a bit of baloney, like the Beast of Fang Rock or, 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 or whatever, or, uh, you know, Angus McReynolds. Uh, folk, that sort of folk tale is sort of allowed because in those times and in those parts, folk tales were part and parcel of what's going on but this is you know some shaman type uh some bone shaker who nonetheless turns out to be correct how do we feel about that because that's not that's not very of the doctor who universe and in fact especially from robert holmes who would normally seek to undermine such stuff you know the time lord gods that's all sort of a bit of propaganda in a bit of show so but it works with the costume and the makeup are great um the performance is very good um all the, i think all the performances in this are great i don't think there's a duff performance in it um and i've got to be aware of that when i choose my oh it's been row and I think the only bit I remember from the book is is coming up, which is Binro's death, which um, Ian Marta makes fairly, you know, characteristically on Marta brand, pretty grotesque. I think he gets the, the, the his side blown out or whatever, um, which, which is pretty grim and pretty unpleasant. Um, I actually we'll we'll talk about it when it comes. I, <laughs> that's a nice witty touch. The Doctor's scarf hanging out of the bottom of the costume, and I like I like the fact that actually the captain um, and the people of Rebos have you know have their own little contribution. Um, and and. I, I, and actually, 
you know, the captain who has been rather sort of outwitted by people and patronised by the great rich warlord and all of that. Um, oh, poor old Binro does 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 actually cause their downfall. But I want to get to this. Um, oh, oh, I'm, it's 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 very sad. I, do, I don't I don't like that particularly i don't think it's it's i don't think it's you know charming fellow what little i saw of him i suppose is a reasonable and i i i think it i i think it sort of it's it 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 goes against what the story's been doing and i know these are funny characters and i know there's other stuff going on as a and i suppose the writer could be going well death isn't always you know, there's not always time to shed a tear or for a moment or whatever. But I, it's a shame. I thought Binro deserved better than a than a than a semi joke by 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 Garen. I like Unstoff's reaction, and it, and it's and the staging of it's compromised as well because of the space and the nature of it. But um, I know it's it's a minor thing, and it doesn't spoil anything for me. I I think it's just a moment that that I think could have been worked better. I, I love that um, Garen, for all his bluster, actually, un underneath it all, Ian Cuspertson suggests, actually, you know, re realism and uh, humanity, and although he's a lovable rogue, he he's got more depth than that, and he's a clever enough actor, and he's given enough moments to show that um yes i like the fact that people of rebos ribos rebos uh have have their little moment of revenge upon, upon you know essentially lots of people from elsewhere who've come and patronized them tried to nick their stuff uh i said it's a bit me it's a bit harsh on the seeker i would say who the captain knows is down there he's essentially gone well, she could be collateral damage, really. Um, Ro I, I, I've got a feeling, didn't Graham McDonald? Oh, uh, he says something like, my guts, doesn't he? My guts. My guts are flattened. <laughs> That's really grim. I, and I, I, I like the fact that you like Sholak and and the Graf's relationship, and he dies with his eyes open. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a. Now I'm sure this is some sort of military thing going on here, some sort of thing from the people of the Graf's world and legion or whatever. Because I think he he kisses him, doesn't he? I think he gives him a big old kiss. Um, but I. You know, it's that's. I don't think that's to suggest anything. I think it's a ritualistic thing. But I also, there is. A, I think there's a little bit of. Does he kiss it? Yeah, go on, kiss him. Yeah, I love it. I love that. Yeah, he kisses his eyes, so it's definitely ritualistic. But I, I not. I, I think if you wanted to write slash fiction about the Graf Vindicay and Sholak, it wouldn't be unreasonable. I think so. So go for it. <laughs> go for it, Stephanie. Um, what's that a reference to? Um, Graham MacDonald, I interrupted myself. I think it said in his memo about the last episode, you know, please make sure this doesn't sort of 
um, fall into, um, you know, like what, crappy polystyrene rocks territory. Actually, I thought the rockfall stuff was done pretty well. George Spenton the Foster, the director, doesn't have a great reputation. I think that's because um, certainly a few actors I've spoken to, I know Brian Croucher didn't get on with him, um, and I think he was a drinker. Um, but... So, so, but I know I know some actors of old liked him. And as I say, he went back, back quite a few years within the BBC, and I think I think June Hudson speaks highly of him. But June Hudson speaks highly of June H Hudson is an example to us all, uh, is because she's so lovely, um, and I and I I don't think me peop enough people sort of talk about uh, Spenton Foster really because I think he does a. I think he does a decent job. We have a bit of a blind spot with the directors of this period of the show. M Michael Hayes was interviewed quite late by Doc Two magazine. Does make it onto the DVDs. Spenton Foster seemed to sort of vanish. Um, as I say, I'm not sure on the internet there's a there's a clear date of death. Um, unlike for the Seeker, who gets shot in the face. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think around I think around 1992 I think he went to Australia. Um, Norman Stewart nobody really talks about. Daryl Blake only directed the one story. Whereas I think we're sort of more familiar with the directors who came before and after. I don't know why. It might just be me. Um, so if your story is different, of course. Uh, he and uh, he's lost his mind. He's so sad about his lover Sholak. I've decided to make this canon now. <laughs> He does it really well. And it is quite stagey. So I suppose anybody that is, you know, is, is now used to a diet of very whispery acting um, uh, may find this a little bit jarring. But uh, you can, there's, there's truth in vividness. Um, and, and the graph needs to be big. I think Paul Seed's great. Um, and a good director, too. Uh, he directed a thing called Murder Rooms about uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, uh, and he's a really good contributor to the to the DVD. Yeah, see, there's a lot of hugging. There's a lot of there's a lot. Of, they're a very tactile military force where the graph comes from. <laughs> and, oh, and and I love this moment. Oh, is this going to be my moment? Because. It's one of those rare things. There's a bit, a bit like it in Ghostlight with with Ace, but where you can hear what is in in the Graf's mind, uh, and he really commits to that. But I, but I, and it's quite a hard thing to pull off. And I think that could have looked awful. But the addition of the sound of what is going on in his mind, um, it's, uh, and there's a, there's a slight there's something slightly comical about an off. Uh, an off-camera explosion where you don't see bits of flesh flying about because you can't because it's Saturday tea time or whatever. But I think that's really effectively done. I love that. And it's not played for laughs. It's it's done absolutely properly. Uh, 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 and, the, and, the, and the banter between these, these, these characters is great. And you could, tell, you could tell the Doctor sort of likes Garen and that Tom Baker likes Ian Cuthbertson. Uh, you imagine they had fun in the bar afterwards. Uh, what else did Tim say? Uh, is Rebus the pinnacle of the Graham's Williams era? 
For my money, it looks good. The wittiest part of the bluster and interactions between the characters. And it's so blooming cosy to watch on a winter's evening. Uh, in this household, we love the seeker. In fact, whenever we lose something in the house, we shout, Seek and find. Ah! This makes the reboss operation one of the few stories that unites the entire family. I want to go to the Dickinson's house. Uh, and is it the greatest Robert Holmes script? Uh, I think I just... It, I, 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 I think it's a lovely script, and I think it's a pretty faultless script. But I think in terms of Doctor Who, as I say, it's perhaps missing some of the elements to make it, you know, typ typical Doctor Who. And, of course, when something isn't typical Doctor Who, I sort of cherish it because there's less like it. Um, is it the... Is it the pinnacle of the... The Graham Williams era. Well, that's an interesting question. I uh, sit well. There is City of Death, of course. Horror Fang Rock. Although you know that's a bit of a cheat because he did sort of inherit it a bit. Um, I don't know. We all have our favourites, but uh, and the and and great that the 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 sort of script about the con ends with a con and a double con. <laughs> that is such. Uh, 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 <laughs> lovely and appropriate coda uh and i love these two and i'm glad that uh i like that isn't it funny how we we like a lovable thief whereas thieves are awful people they steal stuff off you <laughs> but there's why why we are attracted to rogues i think because we you know because they don't quite play by the rules but in reality uh, you know i don't like people who steal things from people i, I I don't think they're very nice. Uh, uh, so, and, you know, they're still thinking, you know, reminding us that this is about the key to time. And, of course, and it's it's very uh, smart that the, you know, that the Jethric, the thing that it's, it's uh, you know, a lot of the drama is centred around is uh, the thing, a uh, part of the thing that, you know, is also part of a bit of bluff and double bluff and the the much sought after thing that does whatever it is it does. Basically, yeah, basically it's the it's the IT crowd, isn't it? We've got to switch the universe off and back on again, which is, um, I mean, remarkably prescient when you think about how modern technology works. But <laughs> basically, the universe is Windows uh, or or uh, uh, yeah, uh, any form of modern technology. Um, presumably uh, it can only be controlled by uh, uh, it doesn't have any buttons on it you need a special remote control that currently in Haydock Towers is still lost uh, and I love the fact that everybody gets a solo credit that you can read I mean that's going to be a constant thing for me but I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, having a little bit of time to acknowledge the people that have made the thing that you like and I think uh, it encourages people to think about the creativity that they have witnessed and it gives credit to the people who have done the thing that you like. Uh, and I don't think the world of entertainment is any better because we don't do such things uh, uh, quite so well anymore. But there we go. Uh, I'm aware that I'm probably uh, trying to swim against a tide that has long since gone out and drowned me. Um, anyway... I have to choose a thing from episode four and a bonus thing. I'm aware I didn't choose the sort of s snowy, uh, uh, you know, the whole s design and snowiness of uh, 
of uh, of Ribos. I don't think I did, did I? Sorry, I did this first the other night. I chose the I chose that bit that I can see on the 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 the, the, the DVD menu, which is the door opening. So I chose that. In the first episode, I chose the Binro scene, and I chose the Scringe Stone. So no, so um, and, but I love the Seeker. I love. Uh, Paul C does the graph. I, I mean, I think Robert Keegan as Sherlock is very good as well, and uh, I love the kissing. Um, uh, I mean, there are, I love the the Seeker. Um, I love the fact that Prentice Hancock has a has a good time and a and a, and a, and a role that, that that suits him that he carries off. Um, so, but they're all actory things, aren't they? Um, so there's a pretty much put it like this i am spoilt for choice dudley simpson's music is great uh i've got a nasty feeling that dudley simpson because i didn't choose him for evil of the daleks and i really should have done because it's one of his best scores and i was occasionally grabbing clutching for straws doing that um I've got a really nasty feeling I get to the end of this look back and go, I never chose Dudley Simpson because I sort of took him for granted. <laughs> and that's it's that's sort of how I feel sometimes about my career. It's the, I think everyone assumes I'm 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 around <laughs> don't so they don't need to employ me. <laughs> um it's I'd rather think that about myself than just people thinking I'm rubbish and not worth employing. Um uh, the little psychological games we play. Uh, and uh, Tim saying this is perfect viewing for a wintry evening. I have been watching this on two wintry evenings and thoroughly enjoying it. If you're not familiar with the Rebus operation, I hope this has inspired you to uh, to to give it another go because I think it's fabulous. Thanks to Dan for inspiring me. But I've got a I've got to stop talking and choose my two favourite things before listening to Dan's. So. I'm going to choose the environs of, of Rebos, maybe as my bonus thing before I choose my spe specific thing for episode four. Uh, I think my thing across the whole story is that the, the snowy wastes, the fact that that prompts then has, you know, costuming policy and, and set policy and the, the whole design uh, and, and feel of Rebos and the, and the realisation of it, I think is great and I think it suits studio bound drama doctor is full of people being very ambitious uh, 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 uh and uh, you know writing scenes that are impossible to pull off in a studio and you admire that ambition but it's not always rewarding for the viewer this is a writer going or, or well and a director and des design department all going well we could do it like this and it'll act with the resources that we have and it will tell the story it will suit the story and it will also suit the resources that we have at our disposal. And I think it's a great synthesis. And I think it's a, a, an underrated production. Everyone talks about the sparkling script and the characters. It's a fine production. So, yeah, the the design, the conception, the realization of Rebos itself uh, is, is, is my bonus thing. And my thing for part four, I do like the Seeker. And there's, there's no one quite like her. Uh, and I, but I do love that moment where the graph, you know, marches off to win the war. And it's up getting blown to pieces by the Doctor. Let's not talk about that. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, what do I choose? I'm going to go for the Seeker. I simply think because I mean, Paul Seed is brilliant, and he's, and I think he's one of the best 
versions of, uh, you know, powerful men who go mad in Doctor Who, uh, often which were played by Prentice Hancock, actually. Um, uh, and he does it so well. Uh, and, and the backstory and the characterization all that are great. But I think The Seeker is so different. And as I say, I'm not I'm uncomfortable with how she sits in the Doctor Who universe because she represents prophecy that actually comes off. But I think there's I but I and I think she's really well she again is an, an element of the design, so there's a bit of crossover there. But I yeah, I think I'm gonna say the seeker. Uh so those are my two things, um, but with honourable mentions to all of the other stuff. I didn't even mention Ian Cuthbertson, who's brilliant. Garen is a fantastic character. He's he's the best rogue, I think, that's ever been in Doctor Who and Unstuff. Those two are great. Um, again, sometimes you could be so good you're taken for granted, and that's the richness we have with Doctor Who and with the character actors we, we have that populate Doctor Who. Um, but no, I'm going to commit... To Reboss and to the Seeker, what has Dan chosen? So my favourite thing in episode four, I am going to cheat very slightly because I really want to talk about the performances in this whole serial, but I want to really think about uh, one of the things I really love in episode four is Paul Seed's performance as the Graf Finder K. Um, and I want to kind of talk about that because uh, I, I think he's, it's it's a big performance it's you could easily think it's very over the top uh and slightly hammy um but i don't think it is i think it's actually perfectly judged the story as a whole has got a wonderfully um theatrical quality to it um the the costumes feel very theatrical somehow to me uh and uh there's a kind of real richness in in the dialogue which i think allows the characters to all be all of them a little bit larger than life what i think is is great about what paul seed does actually right the way through is you get a really strong sense of this man who clearly is uh, a, a thug and a psychopath but also he manages to show you uh, a guy who is just pathetic and desperate and humiliated by the fact that his half-brother has stolen the throne from him and he's seething with resentment and frustration and uh, and and burning shame and you get that the whole way through and it pushes that his sense of desperation more and more and more until we get to this point, get to the, the wonderful point when he does kind of lose it. And he is marching uh, into the catacombs unknowingly with bombs strapped to him, um, imagining himself to be back in the Alliance Wars. And I think he does that absolutely wonderfully. Um, it, uh, but of course, I can't just talk about his performance uh, because actually, um, in Cuthbertson's Garon is just—I mean, it's just wonderful. Again, it's a huge performance. It's big and barnstorming. But of course, that's also because the part that Garon is playing when he he says to he gives the impression that he's um he's this real estate salesman is this 
rather grand, rather posh, a little bit pompous, used to dealing with high and important persons and therefore having a, a certain kind of um, uh, aristocratic air, you know, that wonderful bit uh, where they, I think he's just, they've just signed the million opex off uh, to, to the guard uh, to, in, in the strong room and, um, the dear old Prentice Hancock has the line about you know we have to we have to lock up the 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 room for the end of the day, and uh, Garen has that that line oh most interesting ceremony would you care to watch, and it's it's a very sort of he has that that wonderful air that does is there to convince um, these really dangerous people that he's a uh, uh, that he's a um, he is the person that he thinks he is. And then, of course, we get Ian Cuthbertson's Hackney Wick accent, which is also very funny. Uh, and then, of course, he even does a bit of Somerset in the first one as well. So he's kind of great. Nigel Plaskett is a wonderful foil for him. Robert Keegan is a wonderful foil for Paul Seed. Robert Keegan is Sholak. They've got a wonderful, interesting, slightly homoerotic uh, bond between them and then of course the other great double act in this uh this episode is is tom baker and mary tam as the doctor romana and they're fantastic aren't they i mean it's really interesting for the first time the doctor is really resituated by his companion so suddenly he's not the smartest person in the universe romana is actually smarter than he is and he becomes petulant and sulky but then also sort of demonstrates he kind of has a sort of he has kind of practical, intuitive, common sense knowledge that's that's very resourceful and gets them out of the situation. But they're very, very funny the whole way through. And Mary Tam's wonderful kind of cool ice maiden thing is a brilliant foil for this sort of fizzing, wiry, you know, whatever he was, six foot five energy that Tom Baker exudes. So... I've got to say, I think the performances are the thing that brings the whole series in episode four uh, up to a wonderful crescendo. So that's my episode four thing. Isn't that interesting uh, that he touched upon, we came to sort of different conclusions, but by traveling the same path, I got to the to the seeker, uh, who he didn't mention actually, and, and uh, he got to Paul Seed, who I mentioned a lot, but via the homoeroticism of uh, of uh, Shellac and the Graf, uh, the the brilliance of Ian Cuthbertson. I didn't touch upon the Doctor and Romana in the way that Dan did actually, but that is a is a very key point and about the sudden change in the Doctor's status. Uh, uh, but I, I loved how our thoughts sort of intersected on that. But then he went off into slightly different directions, which I agreed with all of and were very illuminating. I do love. I mean, I'm not having a conversation with him, but talking about Doctor Who with people, you know, who I uh, I, I am simpatico with, um, but who nonetheless, you know, then will conjure up something that, you know, my my, my thought process is perhaps touched upon, but, you know, take it off in a different direction. Uh, and I, I was somebody that didn't have anybody really to talk to about Doctor Who for many, 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 many years. It was the love that dared not speak its name. Uh, uh, and I, I'm so grateful for that and I think that's what's hopefully what's interesting about this is that it's not just me gassing on which I think you know you unfortunately is 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 in the is part of the deal 
but the, the, what, what I've loved about doing this so far is the different perspectives of the people that have kindly contributed have, have opened my eyes uh, and I hope and I hope yours and I and I also hope have 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 you know in, introduced you to some people whose work uh, you'll go off to seek out after you've watched the story they've been talking about because because Dan's stuff is great by the way um, right so what's his so that's annoying because I nearly said I think I could have if I I think because he led with Paul Seed I think if I'd chosen Paul Seed and that 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 death moment for the graph i think i might have taken that as as being along similar lines to to dan which would have made me uh even steve uh oh no which would have made me win because it was 2-1 to me coming into this because we'd both chosen the same thing for episodes two and three but but beca and because he didn't mention the seeker either even though i talked a lot about the performances in getting to the seeker I think I cannot claim that one. So we are two all. This is still the best I've ever done. <laughs> Going into the bonus thing. So if he chooses the snowy, uh, catacomb-y, costume-y, policy, war and PC thing of Reboss, I, I will actually win for the first time. And I've done quite a few of these. I'm going to juggle around with the, the release order. Um, often on a whim, because I have power and I'm going to blooming well yield it. But, uh, and I've enjoyed this one. Uh, and uh, and, and it's a, I'm recording on a winter's night. And I think it might be worth listening to on a winter's night. Anyway, uh, even though I've got quite a few in the, in the can, actually. Uh, I've, I'm thoroughly enjoying this. I hope you are. Um, what's Dan's final thing? And then the thing I love about the whole story is Robert Holmes. I've got to say Robert Holmes, haven't I? I mean, he is, I still think he's the the greatest writer who ever wrote for Doctor Who. Old series, new series. Uh, he's the person who absolutely got it. Uh, and just, I mean, again, it's that creating the worlds. But, you know, he's also... You know, he manages to find so many tones in there. It's it's one of the funniest stories. It's I mean, it's possibly only City of Death is a funnier script in the classic series than this one. Uh, it's full of brilliantly funny stories, moments, situations, kind of story beats and so on. The things I was saying before about all the performances, you know, the double acts, we all know Robert Holmes, is great at double acts, but the double acts absolutely structure the whole thing. He's the person who's created the the world of the play. Uh, so, you know, he's finding incredible space in this really, for of the classic serial, a really tightly packed story for the these little hints of a, a hinterland to the world outside that make it a very kind of believable world that we're in. And yeah, it's a tightly packed story. There are tons, there's tons of plot um, to the point, I have to say, I think when I, I watched this, you know, when it went out, I would have been what, nine or 10 or something like that. Um, uh, I don't think I think it took me listening to it because I probably I think I recorded it on cassette uh, at that age it probably took listening to it kind of five or six times before I really understood the story but nonetheless it's a brilliant story it's such a funny 
clever idea to have a con artist who pretends to be a real estate salesman who pretends to sell planets. You know, it's a it's a version of that, you know, the the con artist who who sold London Bridge to a tourist. You know, it's that kind of idea. Uh, and uh, there's always a bit of satire in Robert Holmes. You know, a couple of stories earlier, he's mocking the tax system in The Sunmakers. And here he is use, looking at kind of estate agents and using some of the some of the horror that we have of estate agents uh, uh, and and putting that in in Garon. And um, and so that becomes really funny and very pointed. It's uh, it's it's beautifully told as well uh, the the cliffhangers uh maybe not so much the first one but the second and, and third one uh are real proper story beat cliffhangers they properly move things along they're not just you know 30 seconds peril for the sake of a cliffhanger so uh it's a really really great script for me this is the single greatest script that was ever written for for Doctor Who from 1963 to the present. Well, praise indeed. Praise indeed. Uh, there was no way I was going to choose Robert Holmes, probably because, again, I we sort of take him for granted. Uh, and it's funny how I'll, you know, I'll pick out an actor, but I might not pick out a, a script writer because I'll pick out individual bits of the script. I don't know. But the rules for this is you choose a thing. And for some people, it's going to be a childhood reminiscence. For some people, it's going to be a, a feeling that they get. I mean, Simon Gurrier, when we did Evil of the Daleks, was for something that the fact that we we had no idea what's going on. And yeah, choosing the, the writer um, and the script as a whole uh is almost hiding in plain sight, uh, a bit like the Jethric. Um, but I was never going to choose that. I, I See, I'm doomed to fail in this project, but I don't mind that. I think if I set myself up to fail, I won't be disappointed. I think I've already said that even, uh, repeating myself even this early into the process. But um, it's how I've spent my life is uh, expecting not to succeed so if it happens one day and i was close with this i was close i'm gonna take three two to me i'm gonna take the fact that dan and i and we had so many crossovers even in the bits that we, you know we ended up not tallying with uh, exactly i've really enjoyed um even though i was talking all the way through it part of me wants to now shut up and watch it again without without being interrupted by me but I've got more stories to watch and I've got more things to do but maybe if you do if you if you didn't watch it uh first time round without me gassing on uh there's so much in that story I cannot wait to watch that story again just for entertainment's sake I'm invigorated by Dan's perspectives on it and his expert eye and he as I say he's a very very skilled writer himself um but he gave us the perspectives of yeah he's a writer but a, a, a fan as well and a, and, a, and uh, that was a real celebration of a great bit of Doctor Who this is the stuff this is what I imagine this is what I hope no I don't know what I imagined but I I found this a very rewarding uh, segment of this podcast which will be a podcast i'm sure of ups and downs and he talked you know he was celebrating robert holmes's double acts there the characters that were in the script of dead souls that uh, i did for radio 4 that that dan wrote which was the first time we met it was full of brilliant characters 
So actually, there's a bit of Robert Holmes there. I'm not saying he he in any way uh, uh, lifted anything or or anything, like that, but but there was a there are there's there's clearly uh, and and Dan is a you know a fantastic writer in his own right, but there are there are perhaps similarities in uh, 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 the ability to conjure uh, comedy and incident and tell story through character. Uh, between Robert Holmes and Dan Rebellato. So if, if you, like Dan, like this script, you'll also like his script. So I hope you uh, avail yourself of his work. I'm really flattered that uh, he's given the time to this. Uh, and it's been actually nice for me to then reconnect with him and, and have little chats as we've had about other things. Because Doctor Who, uh, you know, has has a way... It's a, it's a, you know, it's a common language, isn't it, between us? So I hope um, <laughs> you haven't had to work too hard to translate my nonsense my barrage of uh, verbal diarrhea um it's been nice talking to you about this brilliant doctor who story uh i hope we can do another one soon i hope you'll join me for another one soon i loved the rebus operation uh, to the extent that i actually pronounced its name right more often than i didn't which surprised me um wrap up warm it's winter uh but uh, uh that doesn't mean you can't have a lot of fun as proved by this brilliant Doctor Who story. Uh, definitely, the planet Rebos is a happy time and a happy place, uh, and I'll see you at another one of those next time. But for now, thanks for listening, and a very good night to you. Thank you so much for listening to this omnibus edition of Happy Times and Places, with me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Dan Rebellato who you can follow on Twitter at Dan Rebellato, R-E-B-E-L-L-A-T-O. I'd like to do a shout-out to my featured patrons this time around, who are Rob Leonard, Stephen Moffat, not that one, Richard Straw, Jenny at Bluebox99, Paul Cook, John Deere, Chris Dunford-Kelk, Siobhan Galichon, Ian Key, Joe Llewellyn, Darren Mackay, Melvin Pena, Andrew, Luke Atkins, Peter Adamson, Will Brooks, Richard Byatt, Paul Carrington, Andy Case, John Curley, Rob Dawson, Ian Gillespie, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, and Dave Hoskin. The music for this is by Dave Gates, and the artwork is by Dylan Patterson. And please, if you would like to support these financially, you can subscribe at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. You don't just get advanced releases, you get exclusive podcasts, uh, AMAs, content that isn't available anywhere else, and of course, my internal thanks, and depending on your tier, perhaps a badge or two. That's at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, or you can do a one-off thing, just buy me a coffee at Kofi ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. There's more stuff on my website, www.tobyhadoke.com, and these are all available in video form if you want to see how much of a mess my hair and or house and or both are while I watch these episodes on my YouTube channel, Toby Haydoke. Look for it there, and please do subscribe. And during lockdown, my comedy club, Excess Malarkey, has been providing live comedy every Tuesday night on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey. Me, introducing four special guests from the world of stand-up comedy for a free evening's entertainment. Nate button available, but it is not obligatory. So check it out, see if you like it. Plenty do.